everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The New Orleans Saints decide to shake up their staff by parting ways with the co-defensive coordinator that was an actual bright spot for the team's coaching staff last season. (laughs) Dennis Allen making moves. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your, let's be honest, under the weather host, Raven Parts the third. But I got Dawson here. He's going to power me through the next three hours. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking college basketball with Bill Bender. He's going to be joining us. We're going to be talking New Orleans Pelicans. And the Saints with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. We're going to be talking with Jarrett Rozier, recapping National Signing Day, which we'll talk about as well. No activity for LSU, but a few pickups for both McNeese and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And of course, we'll recap the LSU men's basketball game from last night. Ooh. Ooh. Woof. And we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open. You know this. You have the number saved in the phone. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Fans were clamoring for Pete Carmichael not to come back. A lot of fans of the Houdat Nation... We're clamoring not to have Dennis Allen come back. But Dennis Allen came back for another year. I told you all this was how that was going to go down. And then they decided, hey, Pete Carmichael, my man. You know you didn't want the job before, and we had to convince you to take the job. And we know the offense was pedestrian. And you didn't get Taysom Hill involved enough. And you didn't get Alvin Kamara involved enough. And you had injured Mark Ingram out there trying to pick up a first down. But you've been with the family for so long. Let's run it back. They make those decisions and instead let Ryan Nielsen, a guy that Ed Orgeron at one time wanted to be the defensive coordinator at LSU, but Sean Payton thought was so valuable, he said, no, no, there'll be none of that. You let him go take the head uh, the head defensive coordinator job for a division rival, the Atlanta Falcons. So Ryan Nielsen, who is, was on staff, a guy that LSU coveted at one time, is now in Atlanta, going to be the new D.C. for the Dirty Birds. The other co-defensive coordinator that you had – they decided to part ways with on Wednesday. Okie dokie. 
I guess this makes some sort of sense. I'm not really for sure. I, I'm, I don't understand why you had two co-defensive coordinators to begin with, but you did, and it worked. And after some early season struggles, the defense became the strength of the team, especially in the back half of the season. One of those co-defensive coordinators leaves for a, a promotion, essentially, to be a full-on defensive coordinator. I was assuming, and I know my late father told me, son, never assume. You know what happens when you assume. But I assumed, hey, Chris Richard knows the defense. Chris Richard was a co-defensive coordinator last year. It would only make sense to simply promote him and give him the title of defensive coordinator. But the Saints said, nah, bro. Check it. We're going to part ways for with him as well. Oh, okay. The Saints were not allowed to block interviews for the two assistants because of their unique co-coordinator status. That is why Nielsen's hiring by the Falcons is deemed a promotion instead of a lateral move, which Mickey Loomis could have kiboshed. The Carolina Panthers requested to interview Richard for their defensive coordinator position earlier in the month before Frank Reich was hired as head coach, and the Miami Dolphins also requested to interview him too. So... The guy gets interviewed by two other teams, and then you decide to part ways with him? Uh, okay. Am I missing something? I feel like we're not being told something here. Like th- that's what it feels like. Because you just Dawson, it just makes sense to say, Well, Chris, we trust you, your own staff. First of all, we know DA is the defensive coordinator, right? He's the head coach. But he's calling the plays on defense. This this doesn't make sense at all. There's 100% something that's not. And again, like the I think reports came out that this was like a philosophical difference or something like that. The guy's been on staff how long? And a philosophical difference just came up. I I don't understand this because again, if you were going to let go of Richard, then you would have promoted Nielsen to the full defensive coordinator position and not let him go to a division division, rival. So. Something had to have happened here, I, I would guess, or, or maybe maybe not, but in that case, then it's just kind of poor management and just kind of, if they hadn't made their decision until now, then you're just making a mistake. Unless Dennis Allen truly just kind of wanted to completely refresh things in that defensive room, but why would he, I mean, I, again, if there's something going on that's not X's and O's on the field, then maybe that's the case, but like the defense was obviously the better unit and they played outstanding for the second half of the season, so... Yeah, I, I I don't understand this at all. The timing oh. of it is just what makes it weird. If if Richard, you know, if you had decided to let go of Richard before, or if Nielsen, like none of it makes sense because you would have kept the other guy in theory. So just, let's say to your point, let's say that Da didn't vibe with Richard for whatever reason, even though they had been on staff together with the Saints, right? And Richard comes. Uh, from Legion of Boom as well, right? He, he was uh, in Seattle. He worked in Seattle as well. But they are already on staff together with D.A. 
being his boss because DA was the defensive coordinator. And Richard was a position coach, just like Nielsen was, right? So they both get promotions as co-defensive coordinators. Let's say you didn't vibe with Richard. The, the dynamic changed and you guys butted heads. Let's say that's, that is the truth of what happened. And you got along with Nielsen. Then why isn't Nielsen your defensive coordinator? Why did you let Nielsen interview and leave the building and go be the DC somewhere else? Like I, That's the part of that that doesn't make sense unless DA had issues with both. And they were like, okay, well, you know, Ryan, if you want to leave to go to, to Atlanta, best of luck to you. Congratulations. And then they're like, okay, well, we don't like, we don't want Richard to be the defensive coordinator, so we're just going to part ways with him now. The it's- only scenario I, I can kind of think up is that DA, uh, which I mean, I don't know the intricacies of the hiring process within a defensive coordinator hiring their positional coaches or, you know, the head coach and the general manager hiring, the, hiring those guys. So, my only thought is maybe Dennis Allen was never a huge fan of those two guys, but his first year in there, he didn't feel like he could shake things up that much, and he wanted to keep things, you know, because it wouldn't have made sense to fire the guys who had done so well in pre- previous years. So then he wanted to wait the full season, and then at the end of the season, his plan was to let Nielsen and Richard both go all along. And so when Nielsen got the other job, he was like, well, that's fine. I was going to let him go anyway, and then he lets go of Richard. That's the only thing I can think of, but it seems kind of unlikely. The way you mentioned they've worked together, you know, more than just a year, it just it just seems strange. So now, <laughs> not only do they have to hire a defensive coordinator, the team is going to have to find someone to coach the defensive line because that's what Nielsen oversaw in addition to his duties as co-defensive coordinator. You part ways with Richard, who, by the way, was in charge of the secondary, which means he helped in the development of Alante Taylor, who last time I checked was really good as a rookie. So because DA oversees and still calls plays, right, because he didn't give up play-calling duty. So that means you have to hire now a defensive coordinator, a defensive line coach, a DB coach. You still got to figure out your tight end coach because you parted ways with Dan Roshar, remember? That was the one offensive shakeup that they did. And reports are that Ronald Curry, their quarterback coach and passing game coordinator, who is part of the Senior Bowl staff along with several other Saints assistants, interviewed with the Tampa Bay Bucks this week for their vacant offensive coordinator position. But you got P. Carmichael still in the building. Let's go! Let's go. Let's head out to the hotline and welcome on Jay to the show. Jay, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Um, Sean Payton. Who to say that Richard or Richard? Who to say that he's not the next DC in uh, Denver? Could be. Uh, didn't uh, didn't uh, Rich? Uh, excuse me. Didn't uh, Payton bring him on? He brought um, he, he brought him and Nielsen on. Yeah, so, you know, like you said, Nielsen's in Atlanta. Who to say? You know, I don't know if Denver. Because, look, that, that's why I knew that when Fangio uh, tells that job in uh, Miami, that's why I kind of say, oh, it might be uh, Denver because he's not going back there. They just got rid of him not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. You're not, so why you, would he go back? Yeah, you're not going to go and serve as an assistant coach at a place where they fired you as the head coach. Yeah, that, that, that ain't happening. Yeah, so, uh, 
so I'm, you know, next coming days, I'm looking at that. You know, I'm thinking, that I, or I don't know if uh, Peyton has a DC at this moment, but if not, I can see uh, Richard or Richard, uh, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. I can see him uh, taking that position. Um, yeah, I agree. Man, and it's going to be. Man, when I hear Ronald Curry just being a coach, it's just funny. You know, I remember him playing. It's safe, safe here. Right, we're, Jay, yeah, Jay we're, we're, to the, we're, the, we're to the age now that we remember. Uh, guys who are coaching candidates that you know were were players. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah. that, right, that that's where we're at, brother. Thank you. Hey, bud, be safe out there today. Thank you for the phone call. Yeah, I, could this be a situation where Sean's like, hey, but did Sean have a conversation with Richard before the Saints decided to part ways with him and? How many Saints guys is Sean going to bring with him to Denver? That's another good question. And that's, but that's where I'm kind of confused on this. And it, it could just be a situation of timing and, and different things that happen. But like these guys are all in this business together and they generally like to, you know, do each other favors in these coaching searches, I imagine, you know, as far as PR and stuff. And I just feel like they wouldn't want the, you know, the story to come out that they're parting ways. If Richard's just planning to take this next job, it felt like he would have just taken the next job. Or maybe that's to get around the lateral move clause because I guess now he's the only defensive coordinator, so maybe that changed something. I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah, but but, but his his title has not changed. Right. So so he's still co-defensive coordinator, so he could still leave and go get... If he did have that lined up, it felt like they would just allow him to have taken that position, right? Unless, again, maybe he was talking to Peyton earlier or maybe that's still not finalized. And I don't know. Just And maybe the Saints had to make that announcement so that they can move on with their search while Richard finalizes his next move. It just uh, – the timing of it, again, just seems, seems really strange. And you would assume that DA is going to call the plays yet again, which I'm not a fan of. I, I just – I'm never a big fan of – the head coach who also serves as his play caller. I, I, I just don't like it. I, I just, you have assistants on staff for a reason. And if you're Dennis Allen and you're supposed to be the head coach, should you be really concerned about calling plays on defense? Shouldn't you be worried about the overall game? Like, that's the part of that that I always go, uh... Like, but we see it a lot on the offensive side. I mean, Andy Reid, Sean Payton. I mean, we do. I think it's a little more, you know, it's less common maybe on the deep, or maybe also we just don't hear about it as much because it's not as publicized. You know, when a defensive play caller makes a bad play call, you don't get as much publicity as when an offensive coordinator throws a screen on. But then five and my rebuttal to that is 10. then why do you even have coordinators if you're going to be the play caller? Well, like, all the game planning and the weekly preparation and stuff like that. So. Are you telling me though, like Andy Reid and Sean Payton aren't part of the game planning, and then the—that's the part of it, right? Where I go, okay, yeah, but if you're telling me that those guys aren't part of the game planning throughout the week, well, I would think it's something along the lines of we have all these standardized titles within the league that we have to fill, but the offensive coordinator role probably looks different in just about every building throughout the league. I would agree with that. That's fair. That's fair. I would agree with that. So Chris Richard not returning as Saints co-defensive coordinator. So right now, the Saints don't have anyone calling plays on defense. Well, they still have DA calling plays, but they don't have coordinators on defense. They also need a defensive line coach now and a DB coach and a tight end coach. (laughs) And they may lose Curry 
as their quarterbacks coach. Woo! Good times for the Houdats. We got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. LSU men's basketball. They played a game last night. They tried. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. For the LSU men's basketball team, the month of February started off like the month of January. Or for that matter, like every game in the month of January. With an L. Hard fought, loss, but a loss nonetheless. 87-77 road loss at Missouri last night. In lovely Columbia, Missouri. Great journalism program there at Missouri, I've been told. I didn't have the grades to even walk on campus. That's a discussion for another day. LSU had balanced scoring last night, which was nice. They had multiple guys step up and put the ball in the basket. K.J. Williams, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Hey, man, anytime you get a double-double from a guy in college, that's a good thing. Derek Fountain, Adam Miller scored 11 each. Cam Hayes dropped in 10. Justice Hill came off the bench, played 35 minutes, gave them 13 points. They got 11 points from Trey Hannibal. Scored 77, which is a lot for this LSU men's basketball team. All good. 40.91% from the field. Yeah, that's okay. 11 of 33 from three-point range. 11 of 33. Look, I know it's difficult to make half your, you know, three-point shots. I get it. 50% from three-point range is tough. But when you take 33 shots from beyond the arc and you're only making 11 of them, I've I, I watched this team play throughout the year and I go, boy, they take way too many threes because they're not good at it. Like, they're just not good at shooting three-pointers. They're not efficient, if you will. Did get 30 points off the bench. Got 32 points in the paints. They played pretty well. But Missouri established themselves offensively early with a couple of runs there in the first half, and they led 48 to 35 at the break. It's always immensely tough to come back and beat a team on the road when you're having to climb out of a hole like they were. Now, they played better in the second half. In fact, LSU outscored the Tigers of Mizzou. By three points in the second half. 
The problem was you were down by 13 at the break. Missouri, as well as the Tigers played with the balanced. They didn't have as many players in double digits, but they did have Kobe Brown score 26. Noah Carter, 14. DeAndre Golston had 14 as well. And they didn't shoot the ball particularly well from three-point range either. 13 of 27, but if you do the percentages, LSU was what, 11 of 33, right? Missouri was 13 of 27. So they took five less three-point shots and made two more. That's kind of the difference in your ballgame, isn't it? The other big problem for this team is they weren't all that great defensively last night. They can never put it all together at the same time. When they have a night where they score more than 70 points, their defense lacks. Now, part of that is the game of basketball. Dawson and I have talked about this. The pace of the game sometimes dictates what the score is, and you're going to give up easy transition buckets because of the way you're playing. I get all that. They went for about three and a half minutes down the stretch without scoring a bucket. We keep saying that over and over again, don't we, with this team? I, I said it when I was at the PMAC on Saturday night, watching them take on Texas Tech, where they went without a field goal for more than eight minutes in the last nine. And last night down the stretch, they went for about three and a half minutes without scoring a bucket. This team doesn't know how to score points in crunch time. That's what it boils down to. Because they can score any other time of the game. But when it matters the most, when when things get tight, when you need to be the most efficient offensive basketball team you can possibly be, they are not that. That's when they play their worst. That's when they play their worst basketball. So... Was last night a winnable game? I I liked Missouri to win this game. And the fact that they were better offensively, they scored more points, they had more players scoring double digits. You can see some baby steps here. That's great. But once again, we're better on offense, not as good on defense. Still missing way too many three-pointers. And down the stretch, Matt McMahon's team failed to put the bucket in the basket for multiple minutes of game time. The losing streak continues for LSU. After promising such a promising start, 12-1 and to the season, if you remember, including winning their first SEC game against a top-10-ranked Arkansas team. They're now 1-8 in conference play. They've lost nine straight. And number four-ranked Alabama comes to town on Saturday. We'll see what happens. Right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, National Signing Day. Nothing happened with LSU, but some players were signed by both the Cajuns and the Cowboys. We'll get to that for you next right here on RP3 and Company.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. All right. Um, so today we kind of, we rounded out our 2023 signing class. Um, we signed 22 in December and added four more today to get to 26. Um, seven of these guys are mid-year enrollees that are already here um, and are working with us. Uh, the breakdown comes down to 13 on offense, 13 on defense. Um, I think kind of the emphasis is probably the big classes in um, the O-line, D-line, and wide receiver room. Uh, you know, and that comes down to O-line, the guys that we lost really two years ago, um, you know, trying to get back to hole this year. Even though we didn't lose many this year, it's hard to sign 10 good ones in a class. So we knew we'd have to split that up, and we got some good ones in those two classes Um, The defensive line certainly lost some good players this year. Um, And looking forward, you're going to lose some more after next year. So we had to get a mixture of guys that we felt were a little bit older, could come in ready to play, and some younger guys whose development will be absolutely critical this year. Um, And I think we addressed those needs. It's Coach Dez talking about National Signing Day. Raging Cajuns were were able to add a couple of more to the mix four more players to their 2023 class majority of their class was signed during the early signing period just like it was for the McNeese Cowboys and just like it was for the LSU Tigers Brian Kelly didn't sign anyone yesterday for National Signing Day the traditional National Signing Day Cajuns add four more recruits to their class signing defensive lineman Antoine Bayless defensive back Glenn Brown You said his name perfectly yesterday, so I'm going to let you go ahead and do it again, Dawson. The linebacker out of Texas. Emiliano Soldevia. Oh, perfection. And quarterback Dwayne Winfield out of Lutcher. 26-player class is full of local talent, 11 players from the Bayou State. It has seven mid-year enrollees, 10 linemen, five wide receivers, four linebackers, three DBs, two tight ends, a running back, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, just a quarterback. They also added a couple of preferred walk-ons in Karen Crow's chance. Caesar and Southside's Landon Baptiste. Bayless is a defensive lineman out of Texas from Southwest Baptist University. Appeared in 18 games for Southwest Baptist, so he has some experience. Gives them some good depth there. Brown is originally from Laplace. Played in 36 games throughout a four-year career for the Southern University Jaguars. Pretty good player there. So he is staying inside the Bayou State. So you're getting essentially a grad transfer there in Glenn Brown. The young man, the linebacker out of Houston, played for Cypress Ridge High School. All district first-team honors as a senior. 80 tackles, 9.5 tackles for a loss. Also 
a good enough athlete to handle kickoff returns and as a wide receiver. And Winfield is the quarterback out of Lutcher. He was the Class 4A Offensive Player of the Year and the Greater New Orleans Quarterback Club's 2022 Player of the Year. He just, these are some, you know, minor numbers. Uh, 4,600 yards and 70 touchdowns as a senior. I feel that's pretty good, Dawson. I'm going to go out on a limb and say 70 touchdowns and more than 4,600 total yards is a decent senior season. This, Yeah, this guy's pretty special from everything we've heard, and I believe he goes by lunch as well. So if you hear somebody talking about oh. lunch, you might hear in some of these clips, that's who they're referring to. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, Winfield lunch came in late, right? We didn't start hearing rumblings about him until the day before National Signing Day, and Coach Dez talked about how they were able to get him so late in the process. The truth um, is that I feel like everyone's looking for transfer quarterbacks. Um, I think that everyone's looking for guys that can come in right now and play. Um, we are fortunate um, in the fact that we've got three quarterbacks that are still on our roster that I feel very confident can go out there and go win college football games. So um, we had the luxury of being able to take a high school kid uh, that, you know, I think lunch is way more advanced in his development. You know, Coach Jenkins over there does a phenomenal job. He coached Blaine Goche as well from the same high school, and I was here when Blaine was here. Um, so I know the, the knowledge base that lunch is going to come in with. So I don't think he's your typical freshman. Uh, but truthfully, that's what I think. I think a lot of these places are looking for transfer quarterbacks that have been in college systems. And uh, I think it allows us to get – I mean, I, this guy's a heck of a player and, um, you know, phenomenal character and all those things. So, um, you know, you never know why it plays out the way it does. I think that's probably it. But I know for us it worked out in our favor for sure. You could maybe make an argument – just based on natural talent, that the young man who we saw in the Independence Bowl come in there and give him a spark, and this young man out of Lutcher are better quarterback options than the two older guys they have on the roster. It feels that way. And and, and this is not to say anything disparaging of Ben Woolridge or, or, or Chandler Fields, because I, I think they're good but you get gifted someone like Winfield. You got gifted someone like Zion Chris the year prior. These are immensely athletic, prolific quarterback athletes. I get it. You got to wait your turn and, and all that good jazz. And Dez is right in this era of everyone looking to the transfer portal for your quarterback. These high school guys aren't being recruited the same way and not getting as many offers. Is there any particular reason why a guy that had 70 touchdowns and more than 4,000 yards total offense slipped through the cracks and fell in the Cajun's lap? No. That wouldn't have happened five years ago. Just wouldn't have. He would have been stashed away on somebody. He would have been stashed away on a Power 5 team's roster. But the philosophy now because of the transfer portal has changed everything. I, that, that's a great get to get him late. It just is. Now, speaking of the portal, they did go into it to get a starting cornerback, the young man out of Southern University. And Coach Dez talked about 
what that four-year letterman is going to bring to the table? Well, no, you know, I mean, he's played quite a bit in the slot as well uh, at the nickel. Um, you know, we're probably going to move Amir a little bit in the nickel. Um, him and Cam P are going to kind of play in that nickel spot a little bit. Um, so we're taking Glenn Moore as a true corner. Um, I think part of that is, you know, he's going to be here in June. Um, learning the nickel spot is there's a little more to it. Um, but, you know, Glenn, I think, is, is more of a corner for us than anything. Um, but he has played in the slot, and he has man covered in the slot, and he has, you know, had to pull the trigger out there in the apex and do those things. But for us, that's where we're going to have the veterans that you have in the mix. You know, it'll be him. Keon, uh, Trey, and Caleb, you know, those are the, be the four guys that have extensive college experience. And you sprinkle in all these, you know, freshmen, you know, Jeremiah Moses, who's here now, you know, can't wait to see him compete this spring. You know, uh, Dubose, you know, was a guy that really impressed this fall coming off of a knee injury. Um, you know, and then you got, you know, Denim Day and, you know, a guy that we really got injured, but, you know, he, he's a guy that we thought a lot of was, you know, uh, was a goo, you know, he's, He's a good corner as well. So you got some young guys that just haven't played yet that we're excited about. But uh, those four veterans, you know, we always play at least four. Um, and like I said, it's just one of those deals. It's, you know, if those young guys aren't ready, you don't have to put them in a position. I mean, playing corner now, that's that, – that, you know, people talk about quarterback. You know, you can get burned playing a quarterback too early. You can do the same thing at corner. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that can scar you for a while. So um, it puts us in a position where we can play four veterans – They'll be in the mix to compete for it um, where we know we can grow up those young guys. It just makes sense. You bring in a, a veteran guy like that that knows how to play, just helps with your depth. You know, you do lose some. You know, you do have – he mentioned Trey, Trey Amos, the former Catholic high of New Iberia star coming back as well. So they have some pieces on the back end, but I like that. And, and just like how, say, LSU has used the transfer portal to give guys – from like UL or Florida International, an opportunity to play in the SEC. The same can be utilized by the Cajuns to give players from the FCS level, where Southern plays in the SWAC, a chance to play at a higher level for a year, right? So it, it you figure out how to navigate it, figure out how to work it to your advantage, if you will. 36 career starts as well for Glenn Brown. So a guy who has played, uh, I think he started every game that he played in at Southern. So a lot of experience. Tons of experience. And you can't get enough of that, right? There, You can't get enough of that for your team. That's not a bad thing. Now, Cajuns added four to the mix on National Signing Day to their already large class. We already talked about LSU didn't add anyone. First time that's ever happened. But once again, National Signing Day, let's be honest, is now in December. It's eventually because of the transfer portal. The National Signing Day period for February is going to become, let's be honest, irrelevant. I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually just get rid of it altogether. McNeese, meanwhile, they were able to add to their coffers as well. They added seven more players for the National Signing Day period yesterday. Gary Goff did. That brings their total of 33. One of the largest ever in program history. Breaking down the class by positions, the Cowboys have signed a total of seven wide receivers, six defensive backs, five D linemen, four quarterbacks. 
linebackers and offensive linemen, two running backs and one tight end. All seven of Wednesday's signees were from high school. In a total, 17 high schoolers were signed, while 16 players were mid-year transfers, mostly from junior college ranks. The February signees, they brought in Jackson Anders, linebacker out of Round Rock High School in Texas. They signed Jermichael Carter, wide receiver out of Kentwood, Louisiana. Nico Johnson, Jim Gazzolo mentioned him earlier in the week when he joined us, wide receiver out of Dallas Carter. That's one of those perennial programs over in Texas. They also signed Makai Paris, another wide receiver, out of Edna Carr. They signed Camden Sixkiller, quarterback out of Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. Ashton Watkins, tight end out of Tyler, Texas. And Davon Wilson, quarterback out of Port Arthur Memorial High School. So we mentioned this in the fall for Gary Goff. He knows what his footprint is, doesn't he? Now, he's going out and getting JUCO guys from Mississippi, which so many schools do now. But look at that. State of Louisiana, check, check. Go over into Texas, check. There you go. That's what you should be doing at McNeese. They also had the transfer mid-year signees, a slew of them. And that's going to help them a ton of guys from the Mississippi Community Colleges. Actually, most of the mid-year signees, more than a dozen, are from the Mississippi JUCOs. Except for one guy that Raging Cajun fans are going to know. University of South Alabama linebacker C.J. Reyes. He led the team in tackles. Something happened there where they changed defensive coordinators. He was a JUCO guy that signed for Kane Womack when he first took over. Two-year starter for the Jaguars. Led them in tackles last year for a bowl team. Defensive coordinator left. New defensive coordinator didn't want to utilize him. That's what I've been told. He even surprised Gary Goff and company and said, I'm transferring to McNeese. So that's a guy that has been a starter in the Sunbelt Conference for a bowl team that's going to come down to the FCS. That typically works out fairly well, by the way. So good additions for both the McNeese Cowboys and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as they wrap up their 2023 National Signing Day classes. We'll talk more about, let's be honest, a lackluster day for National Signing Day, but there were some interesting storylines. Jarrett Rozier will share that with us from Tiger Details when he joins us at 8.30 today. But when we come back, we'll unveil the poll question of the day. It's a good one. It's our foodie poll question of the week. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
The foodie poll question of the week is now on today this week because we had the Sean Payton news break, so we decided to discuss that yesterday. So we pushed our foodie poll question of the week to today. And since it is boiled crawfish season, it's ramping up, we wanted to know what is the best part of the crawfish bowl that isn't crawfish. Obviously, the crawfish bowl, the star of the show is the crawfish. We know this. But what about the other items of the crawfish bowl? Is it sausage? Is it a big old whole onion? Is it the potatoes? Or is it corn? Right now, 55% of you say potatoes. 21% say sausage. 18% say corn. 6% say onions. Let's get to some comments. JPK, the OD, says leftover crawfish, boiled potatoes with cheese, bacon, butter, and ranch. Best hangover relief gut bomb ever. JPK, the OD, is all about giving the recommendations. Ralph says the dip, except for onions, like them all, but the sausage has to be of good quality. As a Catholic, always the conundrum of a Friday crawfish boil with sausage staring at you. We have crawfish boudin. Where's the crawfish smoked sausage? John Paul, the Cajun daddy, says, such a great question. Potatoes, because you can make... You can use the leftovers to make a potato salad that has a little kick to it. That is correct, by the way. But better than that is the garlic, cloves, mushrooms. Both are yummy. Bite-sized bits of heaven for a Cajun anyway. Ton says, voted potato, but like John, Paul said mushrooms for me uh, for the win. Stop thinking like me, the Cajun dad. It's freaking me out, man. (laughs) And Cajun Jack says, how is beer not an option? It's a fair point. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Coming up half an hour from right now, Bill Bender from the Sporting News will join us to talk all things college basketball. As the calendar's now turned to February, we're past the halfway point of conference play. And who are some of the surprise teams? Who are some of the real contenders when it comes to men's college basketball? We'll talk about that with Bill Bender coming up half an hour from right now. Hotline is open. We'd love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Hour number one, we led off talking about the New Orleans Saints parting ways with Chris Richard or Richard, as Jay brought up. Not for sure which way to say it. The Saints co-defensive coordinator. Not really for sure what to make of that. He was on staff with D.A. prior to D.A. becoming the head coach. 
They decided to make him and Ryan Nielsen the co-defensive coordinators. And Nielsen interviewed and left to go be the defensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. It seemed like it would be a natural fit to have someone who was already on staff underneath you as defensive coordinator and then served as co-defensive coordinator under you as head coach to make them your new full-time defensive coordinator. But that's not what happened. Instead, they parted ways. Where will Chris Richard slash Richard go now? And if you're the Saints, the timing of it seems odd. If you didn't have a good working relationship with Richard, Richard, okay, I understand that. Then why didn't you just simply promote Nielsen, who you knew was going to be coveted by other teams, to be your defensive coordinator? You could have just done that. Parted ways with Richard Richard and kept Nielsen. Instead, Nielsen, who Sean Payton made it a priority, stomped his feet through a temper tantrum not to let him go to LSU to keep him on staff. Remember, he's now the defensive coordinator for one of your division rivals. And the other guy you just parted ways with. Say what? So not only do you need a defensive coordinator, now you need someone to coach the DBs. And you need a defensive line coach. Of all the moves I anticipated this team making with its coaching staff in the offseason, I was not expecting it to be on the defensive side of the football. Instead, I thought it was going to be Pete Carmichael. But Dennis Allen said, nah, man. It's not how we're going to do things down here. What? What? I'm running things in Metairie now. Have some of that. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Jamie, to the show. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. How are you, Zed? I'm making it. Let's just say that. I have an appointment. <laughs> I have an appointment to go see my doctor at 140 this afternoon. So I'll be good to go by that time. <laughs> Uh, you know, hope there aren't any needles involved. I hate needles. My man, I'm going to tell you something. When I go see my doctor, if I can get that steroid shot, I say, go ahead. Boom. Give it to me. Done. Let's get this bad boy. Let's start fighting this infection, this virus right now. I don't got no time. Let's go. I got stuff to do. That's fair. As long as I ain't got to see it, I'm good. I <laughs> see it, I'll be on the floor. There it is. Don't do needles. So uh, I want to go on the poll question of the day. Before I do, uh, I just have to say, what does Pete Carmichael have on Dennis Allen and in the front office that he still has a job? Like, it, it makes no sense. I'd ask you to make it make sense, but there's no way you can make it make sense either. They it love him. They, they love him. He's the longest-tenured coach there. So, I, you know, look, remember – a year ago around this time, he told them he wasn't interested in being the team's offensive coordinator. And they came yeah. back to him and persuaded him to stay on staff as the OC. I, I, they love him. They love him, man. They love they love Pete. So there he is. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of uh, tenured teachers back in the day. Where you'd have these teachers that get to a point where they just didn't care anymore and didn't do what they were supposed to do and made life miserable for the students. 
<laughs> yes. I don't know. I wanted to go in on the poll question of the day because, uh, yeah, I, I love crawfish season and can't wait to get my first boil going because, you know, it's a good time. And I got to go with, since y'all always give me guff, if I say something that's not on the list, I'll go with uh, potatoes because I love me some potatoes. You can always use them for other things, as already been pointed out. And uh, so give me that. A little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, Alfredo pasta on the side that you can toss them uh, some crawfish tails into, and we'll be good to go, man. This man's taking making his own entree from the crawfish bowl. Jamie rolls up to the crawfish bowl with cooked pasta in his pocket and just sits down at the picnic table and just plops it onto the table and then just starts taking the crawfish and putting it into his pasta and looks at everyone at the table and goes. What? This is how I roll. What? Is that, is that how that goes yeah, down? It, it, exactly. You know, I bring a big old pot and uh, I just start, you know, peeling and putting and, and throw that Alfredo in there and just look at people and go, what? What's up? This is how I, I roll. I'm, I'd say I'm part Italian, but I'm not. I'm Irish. <laughs> Appreciate the phone call, Jamie. Thank you, bud. Hope you guys have a great day. You too. My man comes prepared. He's like... Am I going to enjoy this crawfish bowl? Absolutely. Am I bringing my own food with me to take the food from your crawfish bowl to add to my other dish? Yeah, I'm doing that too. You know, it was always tough growing up was we would, my, our parents would kind of give uh, the job of peeling all the unused crawfish for then, you know, to be made with pasta and etouffee later in the week. You're just sitting there peeling and then you're not supposed to be eating them at that point. <laughs> I just peeling crawfish. It's tough. But I wanted to get back to the Pete Carmichael conversation a little bit here because I am going to go on the other side. I know everyone says it doesn't make sense, and I was upset at the at the beginning too, but there's a couple of things here. Number one, Carmichael was never dealt a fair hand this season at all. He was He had injuries the entire season. He had a quarterback who didn't really fit in. He had two possession receivers, as Foote loves to point out, in Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry that never played, and a quarterback who doesn't like to push the ball down the field in Andy Dalton. So I understand some of the play calling. Some of the stuff they did with Alvin Kamara was inexcusable, 100%. Yeah. I don't disagree with your point. My, 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 my rebuttal to you, yes, you didn't have the possession-wide receivers. Yes, you had Andy Dalton as your quarterback. Who, by the way, Carmichael and Allen trusted more than Winston, so you rode with him. Inexcusable not having Taysom Hill more involved in the offense where he goes from scoring three to four touchdowns a game, and then he's not used for three games. That's, that's on Pete. Like, that, that's on play calling, where you don't have your two best playmakers on the field, Dawson. You got, you got to put the ball in your best playmakers' hands, and they did not do that on offense. They did not do that on offense. There were times where you didn't have Kamara or Taysom Hill on the field at the same time. Inexcusable. That's just inexcusable, and that's on Pete. That's on Pete because he's the one drawing up the plays. And I, I get that. But what, another point I'll bring up, and it's it's not like a you know a perfect excuse for why they kept them on. But one thing the Saints have shown and proven is that they're an organization that values continuity, and they're an organization that seems to treat their coaches pretty fairly as far as the chances they're given. Um, and so I think that's something where when you don't fire Dennis Allen after one year and you don't fire Pete Carmichael after one year as the offense coordinator, yeah, he's been there forever, but one year as the play calling offense coordinator. Okay. 
What you're doing now is you're proving to guys in the future who are interviewing for these roles that you're not going to come in here and get a year, and if you don't get it turned around, you're going to be gone. And I think that could be valuable because some teams around the league are kind of proving now in these days, you better come in and you better turn it around right away or you're going to be gone. So I think you're making the job more appealing in the future uh, for anyone who interviews. And the last thing I'll bring up is that this team is still in transition completely with the quarterback position and everything else. So if you were to bring an offensive coordinator in and try to fix this thing, that offense coordinator might not get a fair shot because the first couple of years you're still going to be maybe figuring things out. Look, maybe they go out and get their car and things get settled down, or maybe they go out and get a rookie who ends up being great. But uh, keeping Carmichael in and allowing him to try to handle some of this transition, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But then you can move on with maybe some more questions already answered for the next guy. You have far more faith in Pete's. Look, when someone says, I don't want the job, maybe Pete Carmichael knew that he couldn't do the job he wanted to stay on staff remember he just didn't want to be the play caller that tells you a lot it's not as if Pete Carmichael is right out of college young assistant coach he's a veteran he's an old man in the game old man in the game tells you I don't want the job for whatever reason he didn't want the job and then he had to be convinced to take the job it all stems to that for me. Because Pete's telling you a year ago, Dawson, this ain't my wheelhouse. This is not what I want. I want to be on staff, but I want to be in a position coach. I want to be an assistant coach. I don't want to be the play caller. And it feels like they forced his hands. That, that's what I'm saying. Like Maybe being the play caller is beyond his skill set. A year later, though, I and I would love to know like the intricacies of how those conversations went and what his reasoning was for not wanting it, and we, we probably won't get an idea of that. You'll maybe. never get that. You'll never but get an honest thing. A year later, when things don't go completely well and they then have a chance to move on again, I would imagine they sat back down with him, and if he didn't want the job again, he would have probably said, look, guys, I told you I didn't want it. It didn't work out. Give me the QB coach spot or let me go. The fact that they brought him back again, to me, thinks Pete, okayed that and didn't just say I really don't want it again and they were like no Pete you're gonna be the OC I just can't imagine them forcing his hand like that again that's fine I just foot has defended him as well it's easy to blame the player it's easy to go back to the Mark Ingram situation and blame Mark Ingram for not getting the first down with a torn ligament in his knee how about the guy that called the play to have the 32-year-old running back that was injured on the previous series in the game running outside when it's not his skill set? No, and yeah. And so I'm not going to give Pete a pass. I'm, I'm not going to give him a pass because there were terrible things that happened throughout the season that a veteran coach should know better. I, I'm just I'm just saying, should know better. I, look, you want to give him another chance? That's great. I'm on board for that. They better be better. They better be better on offense. Yeah, and I'm, I don't want to get the idea that I'm defending him because, again, like I said, I wouldn't have brought him back personally. It wouldn't have been my decision. I'm just saying when, you know, and, and I understand frustration from fans and, and, you know, people calling in saying I there's no scenario in which this is okay. I just want to bring it up like there is. 
He's part of the family, though. That, and there's reason to understand where their decision making came from and stuff. Again, they're never going to. We're never going to fully know what right? was happening in there. Right? Uh, so. That's why I said when people said DA's got to go, I go, they're not going to fire DA. This is a franchise that is loyal to their guys, right? They're not going to fire Dennis Allen after one year. So by that same process, they're not going to fire Pete Carmichael after one year, right? Now this whole Richard thing. That kind of throws a monkey wrench into our philo- how we understand their philosophy to be all of a sudden the guy's a co-defensive coordinator and all of a sudden now he's gone. So what? like we talked about in hour number one, something happened. Something happened that we don't, we're not being privy to between DA and, and his co-defensive coordinator. Run it back. But man, if they go onto that field, Dawson and Andy Dalton's their starting quarterback again. With Pete Carmichael calling plays, and they're not getting the ball in Alvin Kamara's hands, and they're not getting the ball in Taysom Hill's hands. <sighs> that's going to be rough, man. It's going to be rough. And that's fair, and, and the leash would be extremely short at that point, but They wouldn't I don't fire him think... during the season, though. They wouldn't. Not, not Loomis. That's not how they're built. But they... in that situation, I think if the season's lost at that point, I, I would understand not doing it. But I don't think that's going to be the the only scenario in which Andy Dalton's a quarterback is if you draft a rookie in the first or second round that feels like the guy, but you don't want to rush him in. And in that case, even if they start Dalton, if there's a rookie sitting back and things don't go well in eight weeks, they're going to play the rookie down the stretch anyway. So, Could be. Could be. Be interesting to see what they do. Be will be very interesting to see how they handle everything with their offseason, with their draft picks, what they do at quarterback. Because I have a feeling I just – I have a feeling you may still see the red rifle in the Saints uniform in 2023. I just, I'm just, I don't know. There's part of me that goes, oh, that feels like they're going to use him as a bridge. <laughs> I'm just saying, we'll talk more about that and the Chris Richard situation with Lessies when he joins us coming up an hour from right now, right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team and Pat O's. You guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Another milestone accomplished, but we got a heavy challenge this week with Texas State coming in, a team that's played better and won three road games already. They won their first three road games of the season. And uh, at James Madison, at South Alabama, and then at Arkansas State. So they're road tested. We had a tough game with them a couple of weeks ago. We, we know what to expect on Thursday. Thursday will be our uh, DEI game, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. It'll also be our racism game honoring John McClendon and the North Carolina Central team that played Duke in the secret game. Uh, and our guys will wear black uh, uniforms this week to, to represent those two causes. 
Bob Marlin, longtime Raging Cajun men's basketball coach there, talking about the week ahead for his surging Raging Cajuns team that is just on a roll atop the Sunbelt Conference standings. But they do have two tough matchups this week. Tonight, inside the Cajun Dome, it's going to be Texas State, a team that's won conference titles the last couple years. They beat them by nine on the road in San Marcos a few weeks ago. Now they get to welcome them in to the Cajun Dome. And then after tonight, they'll have the big marquee matchup against Marshall, a team vying for top honors in the Sunbelt Conference as well. That'll be senior night on Saturday. The Fabulous Cajun Chicken, of course, will be in attendance. We'll have the man who's portrayed the Fabulous Cajun Chicken, Russell Heim, on the show tomorrow to talk about his career and being back in the fold with the Raging Cajuns. I look at this is uh, two really kind of tough games. These are going to be gut check times for the Cajuns. And, and what's great for them is that they've been tested of late. In particular, we're tested against Georgia Southern. And they were able to rally after being down by 19 points to come back to mount a great come from behind victory. And they've figured out different ways to win games this year. Sometimes they lead wire to wire. Sometimes they can win without Brown. Sometimes they have to rally. They have the depth. They have the quality, the caliber of players to win in a multitude of ways. And Bob Marlin talked about this great winning streak that they're on and what's really been kind of the, the force behind it, what's contributed the most to it. Well, there's some intangibles there. We're not defending the way we need to. Uh, and, and recently we struggled to score, to shoot the ball a little bit. But uh, low turnovers has, has been good. We've, done, we've gotten back to we, a couple of the games in the streak. We turned it over high volume. But the, the other night, Saturday, we have one turnover. We have six for the game. And we have one turnover the last 1941 of the game. You know, Jordan got one stolen, and after that, we don't turn it over. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So, in that type of game, and they've got great athletes. They're very good defensively. They're changing defenses on us. So, I thought that was important. But there are intangibles that help us win. You know, rebounding was key the other night, free throw shooting. But it seems like we're able to step up when one goes wrong and compensate with something else. Bob's always looking at things to get better at. What's contributed this long-standing, this long-winning streak, Coach? Well, you know, the defense hasn't been very good of late. We haven't shot the ball very well. That's just Bob, man. That's just how Bob is built. It's always looking at something that you can improve upon. And he's kind of a taskmaster that way. But he is right. When they struggle in one area... They figure out a way to win the game in a different way. And in a lot of ways, if one guy's having an off night, somebody else steps up. If Brown's in foul trouble, Joe Charles all of a sudden contributes double-digit points, even though he's more of a defensive guy. Uh, folks can get you double-digit points as well when needed or you know hit the boards and get double-digit rebounds. There's always somebody to step up. And even though... They've had this great winning streak, and they're atop the Sunbelt Conference standings, and they're getting all these contributions from different players. Bob is still wanting to see more from his guys, in particular, 
Jalen Dalcourt and how much he needs to step it up for this team coming down the stretch. Didn't practice great last week. He was the one guy that, that we felt like we needed more from as a staff. Uh, and then it carried over the game. And, and uh, he's got to be better defensively. He's, he's missing some defensive assignments that are hurting him uh, from a scouting report. But he's got to get back out and start playing like he's capable of playing. I mean, we need him. And uh, he, he's going to have to start picking it up or we're going to make some changes. It's a veteran coach letting one of his guys know, hey, he's already had the conversation with Jalen behind the scenes. Now, now he's putting it out there, right? That, 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 that's the old school approach of reinforcing, hey, I've talked to you. The staff's talked to you. We've tried to challenge you. It isn't working, so now I'm going to mention you in a press conference. So that's the last straw, so to speak, for Dalcourt to be like, hey, Time to get focused, time to do your job. If not, I'll find someone who can. Not surprised that Bob would take that approach. Because if it gets to the point for Bob to say it in a presser, that means it's been talked about at nauseum for at least a few weeks, Dawson. That's been discussed behind the scenes for a while for Bob to get to the point where he just sprinkles that into a press conference. Yeah, and I think Dalcourt, look, he was a guy who, I mean, was a big part of the reason you made the run in the conference tournament last year. And came into this year, I expected him to start. He hasn't started. Kentrell Garnett's kind of taken that role, which has been really good in. Um, But, yeah, you need Dalcourt. I think you're going to need him down the stretch because, you know, we talk a lot about when guys are out. Dalcourt's a guy who knocks down shots. And when, which it's going to happen at some point, whether it's in the regular season, the conference tournament, where – couple of your guys aren't going to have – Greg Williams, he's played great all year. There's going to be a night where he doesn't have it eventually, right? And yes. Dalcourt's got to be ready for that game. And you can't have a night where everybody's off. It almost happened against Georgia Southern. You turned it on in the second half. So, we'll see. Tonight against Texas State, it's a it's an interesting matchup. Mason Harrell's the big X factor. And if, you know, if anyone's not as familiar with Texas State, they've won the regular season title two years in a row. Ooh. And Mason Harrell is a guy who's like five foot seven, but he puts the fear of God into everybody. <laughs> That he does. Um, he's just a really good scorer, 16 points a game. He's missed their last three, including the game against UL in San Marcos. So if he's back, you've got some things to figure out. And I think if he is back, Themis Folks against Mason Harrell is going to be an incredible matchup to watch all night with the defensive intensity that those two guys are going to play with. They're both a little bit undersized, but they both just They're play scrappy. a lot bigger than that. Yeah. Um, so if he doesn't play, I think UL has a big advantage. If he does play, it's going to be a really tough game. And what does Bob like his players to do? Play defense. And if you're slacking on D, you're going to see your minutes dwindle. That's how it's always been with Bob. Cajuns take on Texas State tonight in the Cajun Dome. Earlier that game, the women, a rare women-men doubleheader at the Cajun Dome, will take place as they welcome in ULM. That game will be at 5 o'clock. So Gary Broadhead's team who has been playing extremely well of late as well. They'll get things started at 5, and then the men will take the court around 7.30. Be a bit of a Raging Cajun doubleheader tonight at the Cajun Dome. we got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll talk more college basketball. Bill Bender from the Sporting News will join us. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. With the calendar having turned over to February, now half of the conference season is in the books for college basketball. March Madness will be here in uh, no time flat. And this year, man, there just seems to be a slew of really, really good teams that could eventually take down the Nets and win it all. And some of them are not your usual suspects, right? Purdue, always good, but never can get over the hump. It sure does feel like this year could be different for the Boilermakers. Houston has been good of late. Tennessee. Alabama, Kansas State, Kansas. It's an interesting year in men's college basketball. And to help give us some perspective on a national stage is our friend from the Sporting News. He covers college football, college basketball. Bill Bender joins us now. Bill, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you making the time. I want to start with the Boilermakers because as someone who – lived in the Midwest and saw Purdue play back in the day and have great teams under Gene Cady, and they'd always get to like the Elite Eight but not be able to break through. It sure does feel like they're building something special there with the Boilermakers. They're the number one team in the country. What makes them so good, Bill? Well, I mean, having a giant in the middle, uh, that helps uh, the way that they shoot and defend. But Zach Eady, uh Definitely probably going to be player of the year uh, or strong candidate at the very least. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned it. I think it all comes down to the tournament where you know, we've seen them in the past have very good teams dating, you know, before Glenn Robinson and, you know, even a couple of years ago with Isaac Haas and that group, and they didn't make the Final Four. They haven't made the Final Four since 1980. So there is a tremendous amount of pressure at that point, and we'll see how they handle it in the tournament. But, as far as every Big Ten test they've had, they, they've passed them all. I mean, last night, taking care of business against a pretty good Penn State team. Purdue is obviously the kind of the cream of the crop. And when you look at the rest of the landscape in the Big Ten, you know, you mentioned Penn State, they're a pretty good team. Who presents the biggest challenge to maybe give them a threat of winning the conference tournament and maybe handing them uh, an L down the stretch? Well, I mean, Indiana's a good team. That'll be a fun game Sunday uh, or Saturday. I'm sorry, they they play Saturday, where they're they're rivals. Obviously, it's anytime Indiana and Purdue are both good. It's one of the better rivalries in college basketball. Indiana's played very good defense this season. Um, I watched them the other night, and they've got obviously some players too with Mike Woodson. So pressure's there, ever present in Indiana to go out and win. So it's nothing that they're not accustomed to, and. That'll make for a very good game on Saturday. Yeah, it's number one at number 21 and get a top 25 matchup on Saturday. Love that. 
All right, let's go and talk about Tennessee because they're, they are currently ranked number two in the country. That probably won't last after them losing to an unranked Florida team that's on a first-year head coach. Uh, what makes the Volunteers so good, and what are some concerns you may have about Rick Barnes' squad? Well, I mean, kind of, you know, press and repeat. I mean, they've obviously got a talented backcourt. They rebound well. Last night wasn't all that unexpected. You'll have moments like that in the regular season. Like, they stepped into one last night where they went to Florida, got off to a slow start. I think they only had 13 points or something with five minutes left in the first half. Um, that happens and during the regular season. And also, Florida was playing with a little bit of desperation because they're still trying to get back in the you know, tournament mix. They're kind of a bubble team. So, yeah, Tennessee is one of those teams. They're still in line to be a number one seed. You know, they'll be right there with Alabama back and forth. And, you know, we'll see what how the SEC shakes out. Alabama looked so dominant for good stretches of this season. Uh, they they went and beat Houston as well in non-conference play, another contender, Final Four. It looks like a Final Four team as well. And, and then, you know, Coach Oates says he felt like his team lost their edge. And that showed in the debacle against Oklahoma last weekend. Do you believe that's just a blip, or do you think that exposed some of the weaknesses of Alabama? Uh, again, that you have blips in the regular season. Yeah, you do. And, you know, you want to fix those things. But there's no – that's what you were talking about at the top, about how this year is so wide open. You know, even with the fact that we have these questions about Purdue and Alabama, who are – pretty good locks to be number one seeds at this point um but the tournament when you get in the tournament you can catch a catch uh, a hot oklahoma team or you know anyone down to a couple of the five seeds probably a national championship contender especially when we're talking about the blue bloods which i'm sure we will um where they're at i don't want to talk about a blue blood just yet but i do want to talk about a, a team a program bill that has had great tradition in its past, despite not being in one of the major conferences, and they're going to be joining one of those major conferences next year, and that, of course, is the Houston Cougars. Do they have a legitimate chance of winning the national title? Oh, yeah. I mean, they and they've built to this, right? They've had Final Four runs and Elite Eight runs, and you know, Kelvin Sampson's established a culture there where they play tough defense. They have long guards. They, they, they defend well. They shoot the three well. They check every box, essentially. So, I guess, RP, if I, you were asking me, you know, this, this is the team that's probably a lock to be a one seed because they'll probably won't lose more than one more game in the regular season. They may lose the con- in the conference tournament, but I don't think it would affect their seed line. And they're built. You know, they, they've done this, and it's a great point you make that, you know, their next step is, is to go to the Big 12 and continue that success. And it'll be tougher when they get to the Big 12 because they'll be playing tougher teams on every night's basis. Big 12 has got a pretty good basketball conference. We're talking with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Glad you brought up the Big 12 because you make an argument they are the probably the best basketball conference in the country right now. You look at the latest AP Top 25, Kansas State, Kansas, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, TCU, so forth and so forth. It's just chock full with really, really good teams in that conference. 
Kansas had a little bit of a lull. It seems like they've kind of started to bounce back a little bit. Who, in your opinion, is the best team out of the Big 12 as stands right now? Not still Kansas. I mean, I know they had that three-game losing streak, but, you know, you saw what they could do. There aren't too many teams as good as the Big 12 is that can walk into Rupp and do what they did Saturday night where they were making contested shots. They'll think they've got the most talented starting five, and then they avenged the Kansas State loss the other night. I mean, you know, when going into Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, you better play your best game. They don't lose like TCU did. But, I mean, yeah, when they get in the tournament, they're, they're going to be a one or a two, as usual. They, I think the pressure's off that program in a lot of ways because they won it last year. And, you know, there are a lot of talented teams in that conference. Texas is good. Like you said, TCU, they got an injury to one of their guards, but they're still pretty good. Iowa State, um, Kansas State. So it, it's a very good conference, but Kansas is still the team to beat. Let's go outside of the bigger conferences. I want to talk about the Big East because you and I are roughly the same age, and we remember when the Big East was the best conference in college basketball, and it was that way seemingly for a decade plus. They have some pretty good teams, though, this year, Bill. Marquette is ranked in the top 25. Xavier, Providence. Who do you like the most right now in the Big East? I watch that conference the most, honestly. And I think it's the Catholic school background. But, uh, you know, I got my boy playing in the Catholic school for a Catholic school right now. So we, we sit and watch. We've watched both games last night. We watched Xavier pull out a very good game against Providence. Both of those teams are very good. And at three at the end of the game for Providence, that was halfway down the cylinder and it rattled out. And then we watched Marquette and Villanova. Marquette, you know, Villanova's having a tough year. And obviously that program's in transition after Jay Wright retired. But, Marquette and Xavier are two to watch. Marquette closed that game last night in a 14-3 to run. You know, Shaka Smart, he's been there, done that, had tournament success. And, um, yeah, I mean, all three, they're, they're solid programs. I like watching it, though. I, I like the conference. I enjoy the way they play. And uh, it's defense mixed in with, you know, three-pointers. And, and, you know, you got to make shots down the clutch. And, and last night, Xavier and uh, Marquette did that. Yeah, I still love watching Big East basketball as well. One more for you, Bill, and then we'll let you go, bud. Florida Atlantic, the Owls, what a great story. They are this season, ranked in the top 25, currently ranked number 19, 20-plus wins already. Uh, What are the Owls doing so well, and can they be a dangerous team for the NCAA tournament? Yeah, they're a team to get to now. The way that they play defense, the way that they've run through CSO, USA, they're an underdog tonight in UAB. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle the attention that starts to come their way. But they're certainly one of those teams you want to get familiar with. If you have a chance tonight, watch them against the Blazers because I like doing that as well. This is that time of year where you start to kind of watch some of those teams that you get ahead of them and get a feel if they actually are going to ruin your bracket, and they are one of them. <laughs> Bill, appreciate your time as always. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing there with the Sporting News, brother, and enjoy tonight's slate of games and this weekend, my friend. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you guys soon. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts 
that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Foodie poll question of the week is today on a special day. It's crawfish season. Now, in some places... Those mud bugs are a little too small for my liking. I'll, I'll wait a little bit longer until they get a little bit bigger. But it's just not about the crawfish, isn't it? I mean, look, the crawfish is the star of the crawfish boy. We understand that. It gets top billing. Its name is up on the marquee, Dawson. Okay? It's the Tom Cruise of the dish. We understand this. But what's your second, like your other favorite part of the crawfish boy? What's the other thing in it? that you love to eat. Is it a sausage? For me, it's got to be the right type of sausage. It's got to be done right. Uh, 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree. I've never agreed more with you on anything you've ever said. You just can't be just be willy-nilly with the sausage and what you throw in there. Okay? Just, just going to throw it out there. Okay? Onions. Some people love taking the onion and a boiled crawfish and eat it like an apple. I'm not that guy. Potatoes. How could you not love the potatoes? How could you not love the, I always, every time I order extra potatoes, when it's, you get the uh, boiled shrimp or boiled crawfish, I go extra potatoes, please. Or corn. Those are our four choices. Right now, 52% of you say potatoes. 23% say corn. 17% say sausage. 8% say onions. We've had already some write-in votes for, of course, mushrooms. You only have four options on the Twitter, everyone. B-Rad says, for me, it's potatoes, mushrooms, and carrots. And I'm just hanging out with family and friends, playing music, singing, karaoke, and, of course, drinking. Hashtag Louisiana Saturday night. Of course, someone also asked, how is beer not an option? (laughs) Brody on Twitter says, the beer. I'm going to be bold and throw something out at you. When I'm eating delicious, bold seafood, I don't do it with a beer. I just focus in on the food. Now, after I'm done wolfing down my boiled crawfish or boiled shrimp, then I will have an adult beverage, but not during. Especially beer. I don't want the foam to be building up in the belly, taking up space that should be designed for more corn and potatoes in crawfish or shrimp. That's just me. That's no, I can agree with that. And also, so we when I grew up, we would go to Lafitte. My grandpa had a camp down there, and the, so that's where all the crawfish boils would happen, right? Oh, so, oh that's a little bit of a brag, but continue. I'm here for uh, it. Well, you know, and yes. so, but the thing there is obviously, you know, I was a kid, so I grew up with, like, she always had Barks root beer. So that was always, for me, it's like the root beer over an actual beer is always something I go for. Oh, Barks, it has bite, you know. That's what they say. So they say Dawson. I like that. Yeah, it's nothing. I've had a couple of those, an actual crawfish boil, like a camp. It's a different vibe, man. It's a different vibe. Went with some friends of mine when I was a kid. We lived in uh, Prairieville, 
and they had a camp. I forget where it was at. And we went and had a – it was the first time I ever had a crawfish bowl, and I was like, ooh, this is different. They just had the big table, and they just dumped it all onto the table, and I was like, what? What is this? It's a different vibe, though. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What's the best part of the crawfish bowl that's not the crawfish? We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with Les East talking Saints and Pels. That's next. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The New Orleans Saints make news parting ways with their last co-defensive coordinator. Now, this is how it all went down from what we can gather. DA, Dennis Allen, the longtime defensive coordinator turned head coach, still called the plays on defense last season. But they promoted two guys that were already on staff that were hired by Sean Payne and Mickey Loomis that coached under DA to serve as co-defensive coordinators. One of those gentlemen was Ryan Nielsen, if you remember. Ed Orgeron wanted to poach him to come to LSU. Sean Payton threw a hissy fit, and that didn't happen. And the other one was Chris Richard, or Richard, depending on what part of the country you live in. Nielsen, not only does he get interviewed requests, he actually takes a job as a defensive coordinator in the division. And now they've decided to part ways with the other guy instead of promoting him to defensive coordinator. Now the Saints not only need a defensive coordinator, they need a DB coach and a defensive line coach. To help make sense of it is a man who covers the team better than most in the entire state. Our friend Les East from CrescentCitySports.com joins us. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Raymond. How are you? I am doing great, bud. So, look, you are a genuine, actual beat reporter. So, I'm going to ask you, the timing of this seems weird to me. Uh, if they didn't want Richard to be on staff, why not just promote Nielsen to full-time D coordinator position? Uh, how this is all being handled seems a little odd to me. Uh, can you kind of, I don't know, clear things up for us? Why did this go down? Well, I'm not sure exactly, but based on the timing, I, I have to wonder if uh, there was some some discussion after Nielsen left and in, in that Richard may have expected that he would be named the defensive coordinator with play-calling responsibilities uh, with Nielsen no longer there. And uh, maybe that wasn't exactly what Dennis Allen had in mind for him, and they came to a parting of the ways. Uh, because Richard expected to have, take on more responsibility, and Allen wasn't looking to relinquish more responsibility to him. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but given the timing, uh, that's my assumption is that somehow that factored into it. 
what Richard's role would be in the wake of Nielsen leaving, uh, because uh, as you mentioned, they they could have promoted Nielsen earlier and prevented him from leaving. They also could have just fired Richard earlier if they weren't happy with his work. So I, I think that the, there was more to it than just thinking that uh, he wasn't up to the job because he's a good coach. And uh, the timing suggests to me that it, it was somehow connected to the uh, the uh, Ryan Nielsen leaving and how they were going to react to that. So DA is going to continue calling plays like he did this year on, on defense. So really you just need a coordinator, I guess, for game prep and really kind of in title only. Because those two guys primarily were being used to coach, in Nielsen's case, the defensive line, and in Richard's case, DBs. So the Saints now have to get themselves a defensive coordinator and also a DB coach and a D-line coach in addition to a tight ends coach. Um, is there anybody on staff that they, they may be from another position group they could essentially promote, or they're going to have to go uh, look uh, from uh, the outside, Les? Well, I think the first thing they have to do is decide exactly what the coordinator's responsibilities are going to be because if Allen's going to continue to call the plays and there's no indication that he won't continue to do that, then they could just hire a defensive line coach, hire a DB coach, and then whoever is the coordinator could be uh, somewhat similar to what Pete Carmichael was under Sean Payton where they had the coordinator title but the primary responsibility of, of play calling on game day would still fall with the head coach. You know, I think Michael um, um, Hodges, the um, at, uh, the linebackers coach, uh, would be the candidate on staff most likely to take on the title of coordinator if he decides to do it from within. Now, Obviously, with two guys coming in, a secondary coach and a D-line coach, either of them could take on the coordinator responsibilities. I'm sure he's not going to have co-defensive coordinators like he had last year because he's going outside. He had to you know, kind of mollify the two guys on staff last year with that title. So I would think that one person will have the title. It could be... Um, Hodges, or it could be one of the newcomers, depending on uh, the experience level of the people uh, who apply for those jobs. Sean Payton finally gets traded to the Denver Broncos. They're going to get the Denver's first-round pick, which is number 29, and then they're going to get a second-rounder next year, but they're also going to have to send a third-rounder back to Denver. What do you make of the trade and... Uh, do you think Mickey Loomis and company got the best deal possible? Well, uh, I was a little surprised that they gave up the three. Uh, I, I would have thought it would just be you know straight picks um, that they would acquire. So that was a little bit surprising to me uh, that they, they wound up giving that up. I, I assume Mickey Loomis must have felt like this was the best offer he could get or he wouldn't have taken it. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't think it would have made a lot of sense to reject the offer. I mean, this, this thing dragged on for a couple of weeks, and it, it was back and forth. So I'm sure there was negotiations that went on, and he got to the point where he felt like that was the best he, he could get. And if he turns it down next year, you're only a year away from the contract expiring, so you leverage 
on compensation goes down a year from now. You don't know what jobs are going to open up next year and who's going to be uh, interested in hiring Sean. So you're rolling the dice there if you're going to think you're going to get a better deal next year because you have no idea what the landscape's going to look like next year. And then you would wind up playing the 2023 season without the player you're going to draft in the first round in April. So you would be giving that up in in the hopes of getting more next year. So uh, I I understand a lot of people were fixated on two number ones because there was a precedent for that, and they were hoping to get that. But I I don't know that, that... that was ever likely to happen, and uh, the Saints, rightly or wrongly, felt like that was the best deal they could make. And, you know, there's only so much you can do. You know, if you get to the point and you don't think the other team's going to budge, you decide either you take the latest offer or you roll the dice on next year. And they didn't want to roll the dice because they were seven and ten last year, and they're kind of desperate to get this thing headed in the right direction. And so they they figured the a bird in the hand was worth two in the bush. Unless, you know, everyone cited the John Gruden deal, but this is more in line to what the Parcells trade was back in the day. And, you know, when he was traded, he was a two-time Super Bowl champ, and they didn't get two firsts for him. So this is more in line with kind of like when Parcells and Belichick were traded back in the day between AFC East teams. So now they can move on from Sean Payton, and that's done. What do you think they're going to do now that they have a first-round draft pick? It's a late one, but it's still a first round, and Mickey likes to be aggressive, but could they? Could we see them actually just sit pat and go, okay, we're just going to wait for the best player available at 29, and we're going to take the best player available at 40, their second-round pick? Well, they could do that. I think they're going to explore all options, and picking up the two next year gives them another asset to – uh, include in any package if, if they do decide to move up. I think, you know, as we get closer to the draft, they'll have a better idea of uh, how they feel about certain players, particularly quarterbacks, and uh, how high up they might be able to go. And uh, whether there's somebody there that maybe they think is better than other people think that could fall to them, if not at um, 29, uh, somewhere closer to there, and they could move up a few spots and grab them because they're not going to get into the top five or anything like that. So everything's on the table, but they they have a lot more latitude now than they had before the deal. So I I think they are always uh, open to moving up to get the right player, and I think they will be open to it again this year, but it's too early to tell whether uh, that person is out there and whether they're going to be able to find the right deal to move up or if it's they're going to wind up just uh, take the best player available at 29, which should still be a good player, and they may have other holes to fill besides quarterback if the right quarterback isn't there. We're talking with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. We know they're going to look to make a move at quarterback. Do you believe the Saints are inclined to bring in another veteran quarterback like go get Derek Carr or Jimmy G or somebody of that caliber? and draft a guy, or do you think they'll just kind of run it back with Andy Dalton and maybe draft a guy? I mean, what do you think the thought process is for the quarterback position for Mickey Loomis and company? 
Well, I think everything's on the table. I, I think the last thing they want to do is stand pat. They're going to bring somebody in, whether it's through the draft or a trade or free agency or a combination of the two. If you decide to draft someone who's not ready to start and you have a veteran uh, as a stopgap. But, uh, you know, if Andy Dalton, was, who is a, going to be a free agent in March anyway, he was brought in last year to be a serviceable backup. If you need him, and he was a serviceable backup, but he's not a guy who's going to take you to the playoffs as a starter. So, you know, I think uh, they're they're looking at all options, and somebody like Garoppolo, I think, uh, would make a lot of sense. And if they have an opportunity to draft somebody and uh, let them learn behind Garoppolo, that that would make a lot of sense. Also, you know, Derek Carr, I think, is a is a good player. I just think that the the salary um, that he's going to command might be uh, something that they can't really afford. They still have 50-something million dollars they have to trim from their payroll to get under the cap, and they have some needs to address. I, I don't know if that's going to be a viable option, even though I think he's a good player. So uh, all options are on the table, but I think standing pat is the last thing they would want to do. So there's going to be another person in that quarterback room. I just don't know who it is yet, and they don't know who it is. Get you out of here with the Pelicans question. Uh, they've been on the struggle bus since the new year began, only won three games in the month of January. That was against the likes of the Rockets and the Pistons, two of the worst teams in the league. The, they got B.I. back. They got Herb Jones back, and they, they're still losing games. Do you expect them to start turning things around before the All-Star break, or is that going to have to wait until they get Zion back after the break? Well, I, I think it's going to probably have to wait till after the break when, when they get Williamson back and they, they and he and, and Ingram get back into a rhythm. So I think there's uh, fans are going to have to – be patient still. Uh, you know, I think Ingram's going to gradually get better. He has not shot the ball well in the, the three games he's played since he came back. The schedule's been difficult. Uh, it doesn't get any better. They got three games in the next four days, and uh, Dallas on the road, and then the Lakers and the Kings here. Those are all difficult games. Uh, so I think they're going to continue to take some lumps as they wait for Williamson to get back and then get everybody healthy, and try and regain their continuity. But the the bright side, there are a couple of bright sides if you're looking for them. One is that, you know, from third place to 13th place in the West is only about four or five game difference. So they can move uh, up in the standings uh, as dramatically as they move down if they get back to playing the way they did earlier in the year. And the main thing that's preventing them from playing the way they did earlier has been the injuries. So once they get healthy, I think they can get back to playing well and, and establish uh, a better situation than they're in right now. Because if, right now, the, if the season ended today, I think they would be in a play-in situation. And they're, they're a better team than that. And if they get healthy, I think they'll be able to, to climb back up the standings to some degree. Less. Appreciate your time. As always, keep up the tremendous work you're doing at ChristenCitySports.com, my friend. Thank you for the time. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Raymond.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You want to improve your golf game? It doesn't matter if you're a young golfer just picking it up, if you're 12, 13, 14 years old, maybe you're trying to play it in high school, or hey, you just love the game you played on the weekends with your buddies. If you want to improve your game, then you need to check out Skill Masters. It's the new app that boosts players and coaches' development and exposure, and we've been talking about it every Thursday here on RP3 and Company. We're going to do a deep dive now on the section about golf. Thomas Wartell joins us now. Thomas, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get started. You know, we've talked a little bit the last couple weeks about what you guys are doing with uh, the golf, with the Skill Masters app. Why do you believe the game of golf itself seems to be so perfectly suited with an app like this? Well, one of the things that uh, an app like this helps is is, uh, repetition. So, uh, and, and keywords to, keywords, key drills to, continue a a baseline of repetition so we talked about gpa grip posture alignment uh all great players being tour players they have uh, a a good grip good posture good alignment and if you don't develop the basics and then challenge the basics to a a different level you 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 start uh looking at going down rabbit holes and so everyone's been down that road where you're a golfer and you you find it one day and you think, oh, I got this game licked, and then uh, the next day you come out and you're awful again. Well, most of the time it's, it's just because of lack of uh, continuity, consistency. That's, that's the thing. Golf is actually a very boring game. You want to you, you be the same this every time because the challenge becomes the course itself is always different. There's always different uh, uh, weather, lies, golf courses. But you want your swing to be consistent. And with an app like this, we work on – consistency it's a building block of to consistency thomas one of the things that about my own personal game going all the way back to high school and i'll give you an example here and this may help some of our listeners i struggled with the motion of using a driver so my golf coach i only played golf one year in high school and i'm not going to tell you how long ago that was but he said hey use a four iron off the tee And that kind of carried over with me. And then I started using a driving iron uh, to use as my club of choice to be able to tee off when. For someone like me that's never been comfortable using an actual prototypical driver, what are some of the things that you would be able to work with me on through the app? Well, first off, just kind of a a little background on the driver. The driver is the longest club in the bag, obviously. And it also is the flattest face. So drivers are basically from between 8 degrees and, let's say, 12 degrees. So the spin is going to be imparted more dramatically. So if you, if you cut the ball or fade the ball, you can have much more spin axis on, the, on, a, on a driver than you would, let's say, a wedge. But that being said, the reality is 
in my teaching, is the driver is actually one of the easiest clubs in the bag to hit. So I actually teach two swings. There's a driver swing, and there is a iron swing. So the driver swing is, uh, you know, the, the average tour player is around zero degrees at impact, meaning their angle of attack uh, to the ground. So they're basically level to the ground at impact. Some of them are even a couple of degrees up, some of the long drivers. Whereas the average tour player with a seven iron, they're actually, their angle of attack is uh, 4.3 down, basically, is the tour average. So you hit down. So the, the setup is different on the driver. The ball position is different. And that's some of the things we discussed in the app. And, and the, uh, the actual swing is, you know, it's, it's in the same family. I'm not going to say it's completely different, but it's, a, it's, it's in the same family. A couple other things about the driver. It's actually, I always tell people it's actually the easiest club in the bag because it's the one on the tee. You tee it high. Uh, it's 460 cc, so the driver is a huge compared to the drivers of yesteryear, and um, and it, it, it's kind of like uh, the today's drivers are kind of like the difference between a wooden tennis racket and a modern tennis racket. Now, I will tell you this: one of the reasons why people struggle with drivers is uh, most drivers are too long. So, really? for some reason, the industry is they're they're coming out with drivers at 46 degree 46 inches in length which is really long the average driver on the pga tour and some of these guys are really big is less than 45 inches 44 and a half but if you buy from a manufacturer just right off the rack i guarantee you every driver out there today is over 45 inches in length so most drivers are too long and i would bet your driver is probably too long for you it probably is now that you say that. You know, the other thing I noticed covering golf in, in my career, uh, covering the PGA Tour events, covering um, the Web.com uh, Tour, now the Corn Ferry Tour, and, and playing in some of these pro-ams on the Corn Ferry Tour that we've done here, the Chittimacha, Louisiana Open, the sound the club face makes when the pro hits it compared to when us guys out there in the pro-am that are just wanting to be part of it hit it is wildly different. Like when the, the pros hit it, Thomas, it sounds just crystal clear, perfect, and it just radiates throughout the course. When I hit it, it sounds nothing like that, brother. Why is that? Well, because there are five human performance factors that I, I use that they're called. Those are the five things that can happen that uh, we as golfers can affect at impact. Remember, as I always say, the golf ball has no opinion. It doesn't care about anything but impact. It doesn't care about what your swing looks like. It doesn't care about your grip. All those things can have an effect and make you more consistent, but the reality is that that moment of truth is impact. So one of those five human performance factors, we've talked about it, the club face position and impact, but another one of those factors is what we call the centerness of contact. Are you hitting the sweet spot? So, you know, when you played baseball and you hit a if you hit a wooden bat, you knew when you hit that bat right in the center or if you, you were playing with a, a, a metal bat, you knew a aluminum bat, you knew when you hit it in the center. It's the same as a golf club. So there's, a, there's something called smash factor. It's kind of a name made up. But what it is is it's ball speed divided by club head speed. So, for instance, if you had a 100-mile-an-hour club head speed, so the average PGA Tour player has 112 miles per hour. The average golfer has less than 100 miles per hour. But let's just use 100 miles per hour club head speed. If you hit it right in the center of these golf clubs, these drivers, you would have a ball speed of 150 miles per hour. So the smash factor would be ball speed divided by club head speed, so you'd get 1.50 smash factor. Okay, so the difference is, is those pros on the PGA Tour, they average a smash factor of 1.47, 1.48 in that area. 
where you're probably averaging a smash factor of 1.32, 1.31, and meaning you're hitting it on the heel of the club towards the towards the shaft side or the toe, which is towards the end. And the the the, the reality is is the, today's golf clubs, the, the technology has gotten so good is they've expanded the area that you can hit, so it's a little bit more forgiving or way more forgiving than they were. And like just the 2023 drivers are better than the 2021 drivers. But if, you, if you're hitting a golf ball and you hit it towards the heel, it's actually the worst place to hit it. If you hit it a little towards the toe, it's actually you get away with it a little bit. So the worst place to hit it is in the heel. So when you have that real clunky sound, a lot of times that's a heel hit, and that's uh, centerness of contact. Great stuff, Thomas. Appreciate it, man. Can't wait to talk to you again coming up in the next few weeks about the other things that you guys are doing with the golf game. And look, guys, that's just a, a, a snippet, a taste of what Thomas and the rest of the team at Skill Masters can do for you and your golf game. Brother, thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. All right. Thank you. If you're looking for more of that coaching, that guidance about your golf game that Thomas was just talking about, you got to go download the Skill Masters app. It's all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. Got to go check it out. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Speaking of silky smooth, that's a good way of describing our next guest. The man does it all. High schools, recruiting, seven-on-seven camps, sit-down interviews, like Tom Rinaldi's type of sit-down interviews with recruits. They trust him. They love him. So do you. He's our go-to when it comes to recruiting. Jarrett Rozier from Tiger Details joins us now. Jarrett, it's been too long, my friend. How are you, brother? Better now, Ray. How you doing this morning, man? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So this popped in my head, and I'm, that's how we're going to start off this conversation. Is it time for us to get rid of the February National Signing Day period and just go ahead and commit to the fact that everything now gets done in December? No, I mean, I saw some some chatter about that over the, I mean, the last 24 hours or so, and I, I knew that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of high-profile drama around Louisiana yesterday. Um, LSU ended up not signing anyone for the first time in history uh, in February, but you saw an awful lot of scholarship papers still get signed by guys uh, all over the all over the country, and I, I think we shouldn't overlook that. We saw people signing in, in non-football sports uh, as well. Uh, there's There's always been fall and 
spring signing periods for other sports. They just haven't been as as spotlighted as football because football is such a money maker at at every level. Um, but I think there there will always be room for for schools to to still be adding um, you know adding key members of of their their programs, particularly once you get out of that elite SEC Power Five type level. Um, and even past some of the, the G5s and, and trickle on down, you're going to be having colleges that, that really rely on, on still getting some, some key pieces for their programs following that senior season for those guys, um, or again, for, for all sports, um, not just football, it's, you know, in, in the spring of senior year for, for a lot of young athletes. And then you have some guys that on the football side really – excelled late and and had their senior year help them secure opportunities um so as as much heavier as december has become i think we still saw a lot of uh you know a lot of great opportunities and great fits and, and great players and all those things yesterday uh, although they may not be the the espn headline attention grabbers uh, i think there's still there's still some significance to it for sure has the emergence and the abundance of use of the NCAA transfer portal made it more difficult for non-five and four-star high school guys to get signed these days? Absolutely. There's just there's fewer spots, particularly at the FBS level, going to high school guys now. Even with the, the, cap, the 25-man cap taken off of those those classes per year and, and just being able to make sure you stay within your 85 man total ro- roster limit and in, in your scholarship numbers, you're just seeing, and this is something I heard college coaches talk about before the transfer portal dynamics were, were even approved was that this is just further stratifying things to a point where the, the big high profile programs don't have to take, a, a flyer on a high school guy when they know that that guy, if if they do pan out to be the player that they think they will be, uh, but it's it's far from a guarantee. They can let them go develop for a year or two in college elsewhere at still a high level of competition, um, and and then pull them through the transfer portal. And so you're you're seeing more and more reliance on building. Similarly to, to, you know, in a an approach in some ways to what we've seen from Coach Calipari and, and some others on the uh, the basketball side, and we heard Coach Will Wade talk about it at LSU. You're having to build your best team year in and year out, or, or in two year increments, and and can't focus much on being patient with guys and and taking taking those chances and and that that project coming out of high school, you're seeing more and more of an emphasis on getting someone who's ready to win, come in there, plug and play, uh, have some experience to them right now. And so it's really shifted. I'm still trying to get a handle on my typical stratification of the the recruits of, okay, this guy's a an SEC guy or a power five guy. This guy's a G five guy. This guy's an FCS guy on down. That's all shifted down so much because you see, so many more of those spots for for an LSU, or I mean, we're seeing a lot of spots for for the Cajuns and McNeese going to transfer guys more so than than in the past. 
Correct. Uh, and, so and Jared, and I, and I thought about this because, you know, Brian Kelly, year one, he has to depend on getting guys out of Florida National, but he got Burden out of McNeese, right? And then a year later, he does the same thing. He's getting Alexander, the former Lowerville High star, mm-hmm. out of Southeastern. Are we going to start seeing the FCS level, like Southland Conference, stuff like that? Are we going to start seeing them almost serve as like a junior college for the FBS level? To some degree, that's when I talk about the the stratification dynamic. It, uh, you know, it turns into somewhat of a, a farm system as much as as that is is not ideal for some of those FCS programs. That's that's just become a different route to to make your way to that that bigger profile program where there's there's more resources uh, both in terms of facilities and monies and cameras and all those things and uh, and so it's it's going to get tougher and tougher to hold on to to some of those guys uh, moving forward at that level. We're talking with Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst for Tiger Details. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Uh, to that point. I want to talk about the Raging Cajuns class because they added four more guys yesterday, and one of them was a surprise. Not the young man, the transfer out of Southern, who's going to play defensive back, but the immensely talented and dynamic playmaking quarterback who they got from Lutcher High School. He kind of fell into their lap. It's not a knock on the Cajuns because they've had some good quarterbacks there. I'm not saying that, but I was immensely surprised that a a caliber – player like that from that type of program that knows how to get their quarterbacks ready for the next level kind of just fell to the Cajuns on National Signing Day in February. Yeah, Dewanye Winfield had been absolutely prolific his senior year certainly, but his his three years as a starting quarterback for Lutcher, a guy that I mean you, you just look at the number, his senior year numbers, he completed 136 of his 200 passes at up at 68% of his passes for uh, 2,180 yards. That's almost 11 yards an attempt, 16 yards a completion, 32 touchdowns to four interceptions in an 8-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio, and then rushes for almost 2,500 yards and another 38 scores. And that was just kind of the the state championship leading icing on the cake for what had been a fantastic career for the kid they call Lunch uh, is his, his nickname down there in Lutcher. Uh, someone who uh, Dwayne Jenkins, the coach at Lutcher, was not shy about the fact that he had really, uh, after after a year, a few a few years back, had typed up his letter of resignation and and was was thinking he may uh, take a step back because he he felt bad about not living up to the standard that he expected for his alma mater's program, um, and then just seeing this, this young freshman, Dewanye Winfield, uh, kind of reinvigorated him, gave him some faith in what they could do together, and he rebuilt the offense and the program around lunch as the the spokesman and leader on and off the field and just kind of face of the program. And lunch carried that from the time he was 15 years old um, and carried it incredibly well, not just on Friday nights, but, uh, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so toward the end of his career, a lot of folks were very frustrated that he wasn't getting more serious consideration from some of the bigger schools. He'd had some SEC schools and 
some Big Ten schools and and others look at him. UCF was really was really heavy on him for a while uh, because of a, a relationship there with Gus Malzahn from when Gus was at Auburn and, and had recruited Lowell Narcisse for a while. But it just didn't it wasn't panning out uh, for him and particularly for him to have an opportunity to be a quarterback at the next level because more and more of these programs wanted to go the transfer portal route. Uh, if it wasn't going to be a, a high-profile four- or five-star. And, and lunch was more of an, an athlete-type consideration for some of them. Um, and, and so it really his, – his recruitment was, was kind of frustrating for them late. But you watch what he did in the playoffs and completing 20 of 32 in the Superdome against the fantastic North DeSoto defense for almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, and, and zero interceptions. And, uh, you know, the, the Raging Cajuns – realized that that there was a chance that he could be special at at the next level as well um and, and potentially be a special quarterback at the next level which was something that that meant a lot to lunch to have that opportunity and so they get a kid that i think you you can absolutely argue was the best high school football player in louisiana this past year and a guy that i think was also an underrated college prospect both as an athlete and even as a quarterback we'll get you out of here with this Cajuns did well. They got majority of their class in the fall, just like LSU did. But McNeese got the majority of their class in the fall, but they went ahead and added even more high school players, recruiting Louisiana, recruiting Texas extremely well. That's their footprint. What do you make of what you saw out of Gary Goff with all the mid-year transfers that he had in? He seemingly got every JUCO player out of Mississippi to come and commit and come for spring football. What do you make of the job Gary Goff's doing on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I'll tell you what stood out to me yesterday in particular with with the additions were it looks like they're building a a basketball team of wide receivers with a a 6'4", 200 kid in Jermichael Carter out of Kentwood, a 6'5", 205 kid out of Dallas and Nico Johnson. You've got the the runt of the the February signees is Makai Paris, who's 6'2", 180 and and can move uh, out of Edna Carr in New Orleans. And even though he's a, a little bit, Smaller than those those other guys they signed yesterday. He's he's a tough kid and he will he will fight for for everything out there. And so a, a really intriguing uh, physical group out there uh, to throw to. And then they signed two more quarterbacks. So they've got four quarterbacks in this class, which is going to be interesting to watch for the years to come. They end up with with 33 total signees, which is huge, obviously, at the FCS level. Um, and and those were two positions that stood out to me yesterday in particular. Jarrett, tell the folks where they can go to read all your work, brother. Yep, all the same places. Uh, I mean, try and funnel as much through my Twitter, Jarrett Roser, J-E-R-I-T-R-O-S-E-R, as possible, putting up a lot of video content on the Louisiana vs. All Y'all YouTube channel, uh, a lot of the statewide recruiting stuff on the uh, Prep Red Zone Louisiana website. We'll have fresh rankings coming here in the next couple of days with 2023 and then all the way on through to 2026 and a little bit of LSU coverage here and there that I'm still involved with with rivals on Tiger Details. Brother, appreciate your time. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. Always, man. Catch you all soon. Later, Ray. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. 
But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Skill Masters and, of course, Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst. Before I get to the final results of the poll question of the day, I want to throw this nugget out to you. 2017, your NBA champions were the Golden State Warriors. They won it for the 2022 season again. 2017 World Series winners were the Houston Astros. They won the World Series in 2022. Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl for the 2017 season. The Eagles are playing in the Super Bowl. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. I like when those little historical things kind of pop up. It's always interesting to me. We asked you, our poll question of the day was our foodie poll question of the week. What is the best part of the crawfish bowl that isn't the actual crawfish? 45% of you say potatoes. 25% say the sausage. 24% says corn. And 6% of you says onions. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. To all that left their comments like Ton who tagged his lady. Roses are red, crawfish are two. I want to go to a crawfish boil with you. See, we bring people together. It's all about the love here. Krista says, for me, it's potatoes. Has to be. Corn is good. Potatoes are better. Gentlemen, remember, Valentine's Day is in 12 days. Get your lady crawfish. That is words. Those are words to live by. Shout out to Krista for that. It's a public service announcement, courtesy of Krista in the game. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9 up next. Kevin Foot and Footnotes right here on the game.